something, someone greater is here. What a joy it is to celebrate together at the communion table, isn't it? Good morning, my name is Adrian, and if we haven't met, I'd love to connect with you after the service. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free. We're so grateful that you chose to join us for worship today here in the auditorium and in the venue. Great to be together as one church family worshiping our great God on this beautiful Sunday morning. If you're new here to Carnegie Free, our mission statement is we are building a transformational community by growing in, in love with Christ and all people. And we pray that you have an opportunity to truly grow in love with Christ and grow in love with other people here in our community. We're seeing transformation happen on a regular basis here at Carnegie Free. It is a joy to see changed lives and uh, thank you for your work contributing to that in a variety of different ways. N- none of the transformation that we're seeing happens here, happens without all of us, Bob, being ministers together. Thank you for the ways, though, that you serve our church, both in the summer and throughout the year. Really excited for the things that are happening here. Also excited for a brand new series that we start today, Something Greater is Here. It's a market up study in the book of Hebrews. We're calling it a market up study but because we hope that you would bring your Bibles each week and, and mark them up. And uh, I know a number of you are still in the process of memorizing these key verses that we discussed from Romans 8, 37 through 39. At the end of last uh, series, we went through these and a number of you have been memorizing these. If you don't yet Uh, have this verse card and you'd like to pick one up, you can pick it up at the journey wall or the information table after the service. I just want to mention that today but because we ran out of the first three or four hundred that we made, which means a lot of us are memorizing these. If uh, you haven't yet had that opportunity to pick one up, do so. And there's great continuity between the end of Romans 8 and the promise that nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ and what we will study this summer from the book of Hebrews. The theme of the book of Hebrews is there is one greater than all of the previous revelations of God that is now with us. And so if you would, open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. You can find that in the back of the Bible just before you get to Revelation or the letters of John or the letters of James. If you want to open it up in your phone or your tablet, you can do that as well. H-E-B-R, sorry, couldn't help myself. Y'all there? So we're calling this a Mark It Up series because my hope is that you would mark up your scriptures. There is something powerful to opening up the scriptures and highlighting or underlining or writing in the margins. And cognitive science has helped us to understand that the human brain learns more as we do so through multiple modalities. And so as we read something, as we hear something, as we write along the margins of our Bibles, as we take notes, we learn far better than if we only sit back and take it in on a nice Sunday morning. Okay, you'll learn far more if you interact with it. Now other people interact through their phones, hopefully not on Facebook or Instagram, but they interact with the YouVersion app, and that's great if you like to do that. Nothing wrong with that at at all. There's some great tools that you can utilize there. For me personally, I like to use a good old-fashioned Bible. God has revealed himself, and he has given us the scriptures, and you can get into the scriptures through the Bible, through an app. Uh, Previous generations did so through scrolls. 
through parchment paper, through leather. That's okay. It's all God's word. And so I use uh, a physical Bible, and then I use the tools on my phone or on my computer for further studies during the week. However you do it is, of course, just fine, whatever works for you. But that's how I do it. I open up the scriptures, and I like to take notes and underline key words and uh, write in the margins as I go. And I found that helps me to learn the scriptures and see the cohesive nature of them better um, over the course of many, many years. Let me start this book by providing just a little bit of context on the letter to the Hebrews. Who were the Hebrews? They were a group of Jewish Christians. First, they were Jews who were followers of Yahweh, and then they had this uh, conversion experience in which uh, some of their members might have even witnessed the resurrection of Christ, and many others were uh, firsthand witnesses of those who witnessed the resurrection of Christ, and now they've been scattered across the Roman Empire. There's a great persecution that's going on in the early church, and that's a theme in many of the letters of the New Testament. We can't really relate to that very much here today in the United States, at least not in most places in the United States, certainly not in central Nebraska, where there would be this great, great persecution where people are really fighting for their lives as they follow Christ. But this is the, um, the way of things in many different places across the world today, and it certainly was for the first century Christian world. So these were, were Jewish Christians who were scattered out of Jerusalem into surrounding areas, and most most, most likely, most of these folks who are receiving this letter are around the city of Rome. And the time frame is about 65 to 69 AD. And we see many different hints in the book of Hebrews that speak to their persecution. The reason we think it's about 65 to 69 is because there's many references to the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem was, of course, destroyed by the Roman Empire. And one of the turning points in Western civilization The temple was destroyed by the Roman Empire, and that place for Jewish worship was destroyed in A.D. 70. So if you have many references in this book to the temple, and the sacrifice system that's still happening in the temple prior to that, then you've got to be looking at probably 60 to 69 A.D., somewhere in there. Uh, Timothy is also referenced. And Timothy, of course, was an associate of the Apostle Paul, which puts us in that same time frame there. So in all likelihood, around 65, 66 A.D., somewhere like that, the author is exhorting his audience to continue meeting together, even though there's great pressure on them not to meet together because of this persecution. You think of news stories you've read about Iraq, right? Uh, it wasn't that long ago. 15 years ago, there were 1.2 million Christians in Iraq. People oftentimes forget that we have many Arab brothers and sisters in Christ. And now there's only 500,000 Christians in Iraq. Now, many of those 700,000 have been killed, but many, many more have been scattered into other nations as refugees. Okay, that same kind of thing is happening to these first century Jewish Christians. And so Paul says to them, whoever the author is, we'll get to that in a moment, says to them, keep meeting together, don't quit meeting together, and accept the plundering of your property. He even says, accept the plundering of your property. Whoa. How'd you do with that? Because you still have Christ. So accept the plundering of your property, he says. They go on to say, visit those who are imprisoned for their faith. All of these references we will get to later on. 
So, without further ado, the author to the book of Hebrews was, drum roll please, drum roll, it was, we don't know, we don't know, I'm so sorry. Okay, can I get a laugh, please? All right, All right. There, we don't know who the author to Hebrews was. There's been so much ink and so much ink spilled, so much speculation on who the author to this book was, but we actually just don't even know. Some have speculated that maybe it was the Apostle Paul. It could have been, though this is a very different writing style than most of his, le- than most of his letters, so we think it probably wasn't him, actually. It could have been Barnabas, Paul's companion. could have been Apollos, who was a, a convert to Judaism out of the Greek culture, and then out of that he became a convert to Christianity. could have been him. It could have been Priscilla. Priscilla was a woman, along with Aquila, who helped to convert Apollos to, to the faith. could have been her. Um, we don't know who it was, but uh, it's, it's included in the scripture, even though we don't know who the author was, for a number of different really good reasons. First, it was written very early, as I've noted already, around 65 AD. So you're talking about a generation after the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's a very early New Testament book. Second, it teaches doctrine that is consistent with the rest of the New Testament letters and books. Doctrine that is consistent with the teachings of Christ. And third, it was universally appreciated by the early church as Scripture. And these are the three primary criteria that were utilized for inclusion of any book in the New Testament. Was it early? Was it consistent with other teachings that were known to come from Jesus? And... Was it universally or almost universally accepted by the New Testament church? And that's certainly true for Hebrews. Again, the theme for this book is something greater than anything that ever came before is now with us today. Friends, do you know that we live in a really privileged time in human history when it comes to the revelation of God? Do you realize that? Our spiritual ancestors, the Jews had wonderful revelation of God. They had the prophets who spoke of a coming Messiah. And they had Moses and the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments. They had King David and his many wonderful writings, including the beautiful Psalms. They had all of that. They had the sacrificial system by which they went to the temple and received atonement, received purification from sins, at least for a period of time. And the author of Hebrews is going to make clear in this book that there is something greater than all of that which is now with us who are followers of Christ today. Something greater than all of the Old Testament laws, than all of the Old Testament rituals is now with us. And the whole of Hebrews can be summarized in this very simple equation. Okay, if you get this, you will get some hooks to hold on to for the entirety of our study in this book. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Say that out loud with me, would you please, both here and in the venue. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And as we study Hebrews, we're going to dive into so many big, big Bible themes that point us to this. If we have Jesus and nothing else, we have everything we need. Let me ask you a number of questions, again, seeking your audience participation on this beautiful summer morning. 
Raise your hand with me if you've ever asked yourself or asked a friend or asked a family member any of these questions. Have you ever wondered, how do I make sense of the Old Testament sacrificial system? Okay, number of honest people in this room. In the venue, everyone's opening their hand. Everyone's raising their hand in the venue, I'm sure. Okay? How about this one? Is the Sabbath day for today? Do I have to practice the Sabbath today? Raise your hand if you ever asked that question. Is that for us right now? How about, how do the Old Testament and the New Testament come together? I mean, is the Old Testament kind of random and arbitrary? How does it fit together with the New Testament? Anyone ask that question? Many more hands have gone up. Or how about this one? Once someone gets saved by Christ, they're always saved, right? They can't ever lose that. They can't ever revoke it. They will go to heaven. Anyone asked that question before? Anyone raised in a church where you asked that question? All hands should be up. I think we've all asked that question at one time or another. And I want to invite you, I want to urge you to come back next Sunday as we will address that question specifically next Sunday. And I am firmly convinced that next Sunday's message will be one of the most important messages that I've given in my nearly two years here at Carnegie Free. Come back next Sunday as we address that question which Hebrews teaches on repeatedly. The book of Hebrews addresses all of those and much more. I got to tell you as, as a pastor here, I'm so grateful to be part of a learning community at Carnegie Free where I know that this is the kind of church where we get to come together and we get to learn together. I, I, I mean, I know there are some churches where people don't really get excited about digging into the scriptures, but I'm so thankful to be a part of a church where we are excited to dig in to the scriptures and learn deeper things of theology from time to time, especially in this summer when we kind of have a lot of our core members here. So great to grow together though this summer. There are three basic reasons, though, that I think of for teaching through the book of Hebrews. The first one is this. It's just really, really good theology. It's really good theology. And um, many of us only want the practical things, or we say, what I really want is the practical stuff of the Scriptures, and I get that. I want to see how uh, the practical stuff of the Scriptures applies to my life day in and day out. I'm that same way, too. But I have a firm belief that... A theologically rich life will lead to a theologically well-practiced life that is full of Christ, that is strong, that has a deep foundation, that leads to great practice. First, if we begin with a great theology, we will end with a great practice of our Christianity. And Hebrews provides much of that. Second, I know, as you do, that outside of biblical teaching, of books of the Bible, many people we know will veer into skewed ideas and unorthodox thinking, and thinking that actually moves away from true Christian faith. And so, on a somewhat regular basis, we just want to teach through books of the Bible and say, Word of God, speak to us through the entirety of this book. We want to be guarded from skewed ideas. And third, the book of Hebrews exalts Christ highly. And when the church ceases to lift up Christ to the height where others can see him and marvel, 
it's at that time that the church becomes useless. We want to be the kind of church that lifts up Christ to a place that others can see him and say, oh, how great is their God. They see him and they marvel. Finally, I would just say, I think my opinions are worth about a hill of beans. So I want to preach the scriptures, the unchanging word of God in his presence. My hope is by the end of this series, your mind will be more informed and your heart will be more filled as you reflect on the greatness of this promise. Jesus plus nothing else equals everything that we need. Okay, that was a rather long introduction. So we better jump into the scriptures here. Everyone at Hebrews 1? Let's read Hebrews 1, the entire chapter. You'll see it on the screen as well. But we'll start at verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son of God, he says, he makes his angels I'm sorry. Of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands." They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they angels, not all ministering spirits? sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. The word of the Lord given to us. Well, Hebrews 1 begins with this truth. Again, Jesus plus nothing else, specifically Jesus plus angels, is actually less than Jesus. But Jesus plus nothing else equals everything that we need. He begins here by speaking of two different categories that we are not to add to Jesus. First, he begins with the words of the prophets, and then he goes on to speak of the angels. 
And what he says at the beginning here is the prophets revealed God's word in part, but Jesus reveals God and his word in full. It's a little typo on your outline there. You might just cross out God's word in full and write in instead God and his word in full. When you look at Jesus, you see the fullness of God and the revelation of Jesus. He says in Matthew 5 about himself, all of the words of the prophets, all of the words of the writings, all of the words of the law are now fulfilled in me. So we look at Jesus, we look to Jesus, and we get the fulfillment of all Old Testament scripture and the portrait of what God is like. Friends, the Old Testament prophets speak with the beauty and majesty of the coming Messiah, this longing that Messiah would come and rescue the people far from their sins, rescue the people far from their various forms of enslavement as they went into Babylon and Egypt and all the rest that the Hebrew people had to go through. That's what the Hebrews, that's what the prophets regularly speak to. Then you go over to the New Testament and you look at the Gospels. You have these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just stay with me here as I march through the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four biographies of Jesus. And they all speak of the life of Jesus while he was on earth. Then you go to the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts you see the earliest history of people who saw the resurrected Christ. And they're saying, well what do we do now? We form little communities of Jesus, and even as we are persecuted, we're going to form these little communities all over the Mediterranean world, and so they're planting churches that are naming the name of Jesus and reflecting back on his word. That's the book of Acts. Then the rest of the New Testament are a series of letters in which these founded churches are asking, how do we apply the words of Jesus to our lives? How do we apply it to the church? How do we make ourselves worshipers seven days a week? Not specifically on Sunday, but seven days a week. It's all about who? Who is this all about? It's about Jesus. The Old Testament, the Gospels, the book of Acts, the letters, they all point to this beautiful King, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. And so the author begins with that. A reminder to his audience, we don't trust just in the prophets. They spoke beautifully of the one who is now here. In the past, God spoke through the prophets to our fathers at many times in various ways. But in these last days, verse 1 says, in these last days he has spoken to us through his son. Who is the image of the invisible God. Look at verse 2 through 4 here up on the screen, and I'll show you the way that I uh, underline these items in my Bible and key words uh, that I've kind of looked at and done further study on. So he speaks of the last days. Do you know we're living in the last days? It may not feel like it, but all the time between Christ's death and resurrection and whenever it is that Christ returns, all of that is the last days. And so when Hebrews says, He's spoken to us in these last days through his firstborn son. Well, these last days is all the time between the day that Jesus defeated Satan on the cross and he comes back to reign victoriously as he returns. So in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The son is the radiance of God's glory. The son created the world along with the father. It says the son created the world. That the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit were together, triune God, forming the world together. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact 
imprint of his nature. Don't you love that turn of phrase? That Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature, the character of God. The Greek there is character for exact imprint. So exact imprint is he is the exact character of God. And so there's many people that I know, I'm sure you know them as well, who feel like they can't worship God because they don't know if he's good. They think of him as maybe as powerful but not loving. Or loving but not powerful. And I'm telling you, if you think of God as powerful but not loving, you'll be tempted to think of God like Kim Jong-un of North Korea. This eastern despot that is barking out commands and is very scary. You will not be led to worship. And if you think of God as only loving but not powerful, you'll think of him like Mr. Rogers, which is very, very nice, very sweet, but cannot help you and your family with your problems. No, we worship Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, full of power, full of glory, full of love. He is the exact imprint pressed into flesh. When we look at Jesus in flesh and blood, we see the character of God who created the universe. He spoke and the universe leapt into being. And then he came into flesh and blood and he took on our sins as we just celebrated the communion table for the purification of our sins. As Hebrews 1.4 says, he died for us and now sits at the right hand of the majesty on high where he still intercedes for us today. What a God. Hello, hallelujah, I would say. Jesus is the revelation of God. We lock this in. And as we worship him, so much restlessness falls by the wayside. So much peacelessness, so much hopelessness, so much anxiety falls by the wayside because we know that we are worshiping one who holds our future in his strong and loving hands. You see, the older revelation of God was expansive from the prophets in the Old Testament, but it was always incomplete. Jesus is now the full revelation of God, both through the scriptures and through the very presence of his life and his spirit now in us. Now, after these first few verses, uh, the author of Hebrews goes on, after speaking about the prophets, he goes on to speak about angels, really for the next 10 verses. And you might wonder, why so much talk about angels? This is the most densely populated chapter in the New Testament to speak about angels. In 10 verses, they're referenced many, many different times. Well, part of it is the uh, audience that the author is writing to has this speculation. First century Jews has this intense speculation, even a fascination at times, with angels. What is their role? What can we go to them for? What will they do for us? Are they guardian angels? Th- things like that. So fortunately, he speaks to that for us as well, because as far as I can tell, there's a lot of speculation about angels and demons and the supernatural today as well. Isn't that right? Well, what exactly do angels do? Verse 6, when he brings the firstborn into the world, firstborn here doesn't mean the first person born. Jesus wasn't the first person born. No, it means preeminent. When he brings his preeminent one, that's what the firstborn was, preeminent. When he brings the preeminent one into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. So what do angels do? Anyone? They worship Jesus. They worship God the Father. 
they are made as worshiping beings. They were created to worship around the throne room of God. Perhaps they're even worshiping God with us today. I'm not sure. It doesn't tell us that if they're worshiping here in this room right now or not. We're not told that by the scriptures, but we do know they worship around the throne room of God. Psalm 103, which is referenced here, says this, Bless the Lord, you his angels. Bless the Lord, all you his host. That's what the angels do. They bless the Lord. Verse 14 goes on to say, Are they not also ministering spirits sent out to serve, I've underlined the word serve, for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So angels worship God, and they also serve God's people. They are sent by God to serve those who follow God. And uh, the Old Testament refers to them as guardians. Uh, We see that from uh, the book of Daniel that we talked about last summer. That Daniel was serving, that uh, at the time of Daniel, there was an angel named Michael who was serving as a guardian of the Jewish people there while they were in Babylon and in Persia. I'm not sure if we experienced that of some kind in the United States today. We're not sure. We're not told. But there's some kind of guardianship that they provide for uh, some occasions for God's people. Don't know how often that occurs, but they are sent by God created by God with free will to worship God. We know many of them have rebelled along with the enemy. Some continue to protect God's people. Last week, just out of curiosity, I did a little search on Amazon of all the books with angels in their titles. I couldn't number how many books I was looking at. So I refined my search a bit. And in all my spare time, I found 955 hits. Some titles include 10 messages that your angels really want you to know. That could sell. That could sell. Angels from A to Z. Healing angels. That could sell. Proof of angels. And my personal favorite, Big George, the autobiography of an angel. Maybe you even remember the very popular TV show, Touched by... I mean, angels are big popular business days. These are, they can really sell these days, can't they? Angels can sell. And the Bible tells us that they play an important function. But it's interesting, all of the biblical references to angels are secondary to some other point. You hear that? They're secondary to another point. And the point here is, yes, angels exist. They exist for the worship of God. And they exist to protect certain people at certain times. We're not told what. But that's all secondary to the superiority of Christ who created the angels. So the author of Hebrews seems to be telling us, don't get focused Don't get overly fascinated with angels and demons because they are created beings. I tell you, one of the most frequent questions that I get as pastor, and I've got it much more over the past several years than I did previous years. There's a newfound fascination in the occult today. A newfound fascination in touching something supernatural as if Jesus and the Bible were not enough. Okay? 
Jesus and the Bible are enough. I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard people ask me just recently, can I pray up my dead grandmother? Can I ask some angel for intercession on my behalf? Some saint that I believe would pray for me. And why this fascination in the occult? Why this fascination in angels and demons? And I'm telling you, even Ouija boards. I've had those questions repeatedly in the 20 months that I've been here at Carnegie Free from many people who attend this church. I think it's, you know, understandable. We all want something to touch, don't we? We all want something that will be a little bit closer to us, that we feel is supernatural, that we can bring closer to us. I get that. I want that too. I'd like to talk to my grandmother who I love deeply, who passed away in the Lord. I would love that. But we're not invited to that. In fact, it's prohibited. What we're invited to is more of Christ and more of the Scriptures. And that's for our protection. That's for our own good. You see, the danger of searching after these miraculous manifestations of an angel is we can begin to put our trust in angels rather than the creator of the angels. The danger in searching after a miracle is we can put our trust in the miracle rather than the giver of the miracles. The danger in searching after some charismatic religious teacher, some charismatic prophet, is we can begin to put our trust in the charisma of that prophet, the charisma of that teacher, rather than the one who gives those gifts. The danger in putting our trust in some ecstatic experiences is we can long for those ecstatic experiences rather than longing for the one who would give us an experience of the risen Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm getting at here? This is, this is really, really important stuff. And so what the author of Hebrews is seeking to do is caution his church against any belief that would say Christ plus anything. He's going to do it repeatedly across this book. Christ plus Moses, is less than Christ. Jesus, plus David, is less than Jesus. Jesus, plus the sacrificial system, as many early Christians were seeking to do, is less than Jesus. Jesus, plus the angels, is less than Jesus. In our own day, we would need to say, Jesus, plus me, on my throne, is way less than Jesus. Jesus plus Buddha or Krishna or Moses, this mixed together Christianity is less than the authentic Jesus. No, Jesus plus angels is less than Jesus. Jesus plus anything is less than Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I, I am firmly convinced that the man or woman who has Jesus and nothing else has far more than the man or woman who has everything else but does not have Jesus. 
firmly convinced of that. You could be in a place today that you are impoverished. You could be in a place today that you are in family strife of some kind, that you have lost some physical ability. But if you have Christ and nothing else, you have everything though that you need, along with God's people helping you out. You have everything that you need both for time and for eternity. But the person who, who has everything, who has all the best desserts that this world has to offer, but does not have Jesus, does not have fo- faith, does not have hope, does not have peace, and does not have eternity. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so what we want to do throughout this series is, as the author of Hebrews says, fix our eyes. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, And sat down at the right hand of God where he continues to make intercession for you and me today. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the author of our faith. He is our redeemer. He is the alpha and the omega. He is our everything. He is Jesus. Let's pray to him. Oh, Father in heaven, how we thank you for giving your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we could have life in you. Thank you, Lord, for the celebration of Jesus at the communion table this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, that you have created us, you have formed us in your image, you love us, and you still intercede for us today. Father, we thank you for the reminder from your word that we don't need anything else from the supernatural besides your divinely orchestrated word and the gift of the very presence of God through the life of the Holy Spirit. Father, if we've trusted too much in a certain teacher, in a certain charismatic man or woman, we repent and ask for your forgiveness. If we've trusted too much in a saint who has passed from this earth unto glory. We ask for your forgiveness and ask that you would set our eyes again on Christ. If we have engaged in vain speculation on angels and demons and the occult, Ouija boards and bringing up the dead, God, God, we, we repent even of that and we ask for your forgiveness. Help us to be content with the very best thing which you have given to us, which is all that we need. Jesus Christ, his word, the presence of the Holy Spirit with us, and the love of God's people. In your name we pray together. Amen.